working on something that's really big, you, you'll have these these small wins. We're like, oh, I got this new system working that's going to make me one step closer to the next step, which 16 steps later, I'll finally be able to show something to someone, mm-hmm. right? And for you, it's a big deal. But to even celebrate that fact that that happened with the team would require so much explanation and context that it would just be a waste of everyone's time. Scotch <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 358 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm not a morning person. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's April 9th, 2020 U. Before we get started, we have a warning there's going to be profanity on this show. Uh, and we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net, whose money we grabbed. If you want us to grab your money, just go over there and we'll grab your money. Yeah, but uh, if you don't want us to, but would still be willing to let it happen, that's also a good place mm-hmm. to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if you're, you're like, sort of feeling free, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm not sure. I'll just leave my wallet out. Just leave it out and just open. Just whatever happens, happens. <laughs> <laughs> we will leave your ID in there because we don't – I mean, that's – Oh, yeah. That totally. too much yeah we'll we'll just, mail it back to you. Just the empty. cash. Yeah. 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 We, we don't want your idea. personal data. You know, no. that's risky. No, that we're liable for. Uh, you know? who, who wants that? Yeah. All right, Sam, uh, hmm. you got a, a poke the fan story that I yes. want to hear about. I have a literal poke the fan story. So long time oh. listeners will know poke the fan is a phrase that we use to describe uh, how you should start off any project, which is essentially to get in there just, just the tiniest bit, poke it to make sure that you actually understand how much work is required to complete it. Is this an existing and phrase or did it come from one of our experiences? It came from your story about, okay. about your, uh, your fan. About spending a whole bed. year just creaking until I just got up one day and I was like, fuck this, and I poked it really hard and then it was fine. And then it was done. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah. <laughs> basically because the whole time you were thinking, oh, God, I'm gonna have to like, oh, it's going to be a whole thing. And then it was yep. mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's a thing we, you, know, you try to remember both on the work side as well as you know, in life. And so recently, though, uh, you know, over this winter, I'm in uh, Connecticut now, so it's cold as all can be during most of uh, January and February in particular. And we also did this little energy audit thing uh, where we, you know, we're trying to kind of seal up the house and make sure everything's good. And we have this vent in our bathroom, right, on the first floor that is, was essentially just like an open vent. Uh, it's a fan, so you can flip the fan on when you're in the bathroom, but then uh, the pipe that kind of goes outside the house didn't seem it didn't have like a cover the, on the vent for like venting poop smells and exactly like humidity from the shower right? and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, and so you know this uh, I had noticed this uh, probably in like December or something like that. So, but so was, basically, you just you just have a hole in the wall. It seems it's just like a hole, and so during you the winter, yeah. yeah, during the winter, you know, it's super cold, and we would always keep that door closed because it just seemed. You know, I was like, oh man, this is going to be such a thing. You know, get to figure out how to like. I probably have to get like a whole new apparatus. Don't even know. So uh, we get our energy audit done and they're like, yeah, there's like a lot, of course, unsurprisingly, with a hole in the fucking wall, there's a lot of air coming in the house, uh, mainly just from that thing, which probably is, you know, spiking up energy costs, whatever. And so I'm like, okay, okay we like, got to solve this thing. So uh, finally, uh, last week, took a tape measure. It's been on the list for, again, like three months. Took a tape measure, went outside to go measure essentially like how big this hole is and start figuring out how the hell to, you know, fix this. Go out there and I'm measuring, I'm taking pictures of like, you know, the the measuring tape while I'm holding it up there. And as I'm taking pictures and looking at this tape, I suddenly realize that there is a vent flap there. <laughs> it's just yeah. stuck up. Right. Up. It's just stuck. <laughs> and so, and I was like, no way, please. Like at this point, I'm like, do I break this so that it's not so apparent just how massive of a failure this has been? You know, just like, do I need to do some sabotage? Like, oh, oh, it was still it was broken, though. Uh, no, it was just like, it was just chilling. So I just cleaned it up, WD-40'd the shit out of it, and now it works great. And it's like a super nice, uh, like, like really good look, you know, solid little flappy-do thing. Uh, works fantastic, doesn't get stuck anymore, uh-huh. and won't have this problem ever again. It took about six minutes. 
And, uh, you know, probably total cost for just having that damn thing there during the winter was pretty extreme. And I'm just kind of- Probably hundreds uh, of dollars of extra uh, heating. I'm a little mad. To keep your house warm. Yeah, I'm a little mad that I didn't follow my own, you know, our own (laughs) advice. I had a a less frustrating one, but similarly like, and when I didn't figure out myself, but like the, but what had to happen was very simple. It's like a few, I want to say weeks ago, but it could have been months ago. I don't know. But so sometime recently, as we started, my wife and I started just like periodically, we just noticed like a sewery kind of smell in the house, like when the fans mm. kicked on, you know, like mm. coming out of the vents. Uh, sewery is not good. It's always yeah. bad, but it would like, it would come and then, and then we'd be like, you smell that? What the fuck? And then, but then it would like go away after a little bit. And so we're just like, what, what is this? You know, but at some point we were like, Okay, this is like this has been going on for because it's it's kind of started once like spring kind of come on. I was like maybe it's just like stuff's wet outside, you know, like I don't know what's going on. So finally, I was like, okay, I gotta get a plumber in here and see what's going on. So the guy comes in. He's this very rambunctious dude. He's like one of those, you know, one of those guys like talks really loudly and he's very overly chummy and like he likes to like tap you, you know, like as he's oh uh, yeah, he's squirrely, squirrely guy. guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also, he was, uh, he was probably, I don't know, he's probably like in his fifties or something, but he's like, he's a like clearly like, is a guy who has been like teaching, like teaching plumbers, you know, like for a long time, because mm, okay. all of a sudden I became his student as he was like, as we were yeah. like, he's like, show me that, show me that. He was like, and he would just like, he would like, he would just ask me questions about what it was like. Cause you would like look at it. He would look at the, like the, what do you call it? The metal uh, grill thing over the drain, like in a basement, you know? And he'd be like, He's like, oh, like you know why this is so much rustier than the other one, don't you? And I'm like, no. And then he's like, and then he's like, and he explains how like, oh, this is because of the water coming out of this thing is going to be more acidic, and so it's you know it's going to rust your rust your grill. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, you know. And it was just like that, just like the whole morning, just like as he was like going through stuff. He's like, let me let me take you into my wing, child. Yeah. And it was and it was very funny because like and here I am like I, was, I suddenly like I felt like a child, but also like I'm into learning stuff, and so I was just like I'm I'm just I'm just along for this ride. You guys just vibing together all the time. I was just yeah. vibing. Um, and uh, so he's like, so he's like taking me around the house. He's asking me questions. And he's like, mm, I know what it is. And he would like try something that wasn't that, you know, but it was like, it was like a classic debugging process that like, that like I do in programming, you know, just like, mm-hmm. he's like, he's like, he's just, just like trying Ooh. to triangulate. Yeah, exactly. And and yeah. he just like, he just, he just knows he's so fluent in the, the problem set that, and he doesn't care if he's right or wrong for a given hypothesis, you know? So he just like, he's like, oh, it's going to be this. And then, you know, then it is or it isn't. And if it's not, he just goes to the next thing. You know? So in yeah. the end though. It turned out to be something that like should have been really obvious if I just like had thought a little more about it. And so it just it, there's this one thing that you have to know about like your your plumbing sewer system, right? Mm-hmm. Or plumbing in general, really, which is the idea of a trap and what it's for, right? So a trap is just a pipe that goes down and then back up, right? It goes, but when it comes back mm-hmm. up, it doesn't come up as high as it started. So the yeah, idea if you open is, up like your your anything where you have like a sink under the sink, you'll or see whatever the pipe does this. Yeah, yeah, it goes down and then up. And the reason it does that is because then water gets fills up that the U at the bottom because it goes up to the height of the lower side. Mm-hmm. But so the bottom is fully full of water. So it's basically plugged up. So gases can't come in, right? Yeah. That's you what block the gross gas coming in. Yeah, yeah, because it's going into the sewer. So the reason that you don't smell sewer all the time is because all those traps are full of water and they're keeping the gas from coming up, right? So that's mm. the whole idea. So if the gas starts to come, it'll just kind of like push that it'll water. It'll just push the water a little yeah. bit, but yeah. it's still, it's, it's blocked. Yep. Yeah. And th- but this, of course, if you have like lots of barometric pressure changes, then like it can pull the water really hard one way or the other. And then, you know, then you can run into trouble. So, yep. so in this case, so the guy was basically like, but that was clearly like the moment I was like, oh, there's a sewer smell. It was clearly, he was just like, okay, there's a, there's a trap somewhere that's dry. That was like, that was the, mm-hmm. in his brain, he was like, that is the only explanation. We just got to figure out where it is, right? And so it was then just became this tour of like trying to figure out where this trap was, you know, like into it. And then, and then it ended up being in like the most obvious possible place, which is, which was like details don't matter, we but smelling. it was like, it's a place where I can just see it. But it's because like in our, our basement is where our AC unit is, you know, that's where it's pulling in, mm. that's where it's pulling air. And then we have, uh, what do you call it? The sump pump, you know, that's like mm-hmm. buried under the, under the thing. So just, so the sump pump during the summer is just like, just dumping water into the system. Cause I, I don't know where it's coming from, but just like all the time during the winter though, it barely works at all. Just doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't have any groundwater needs to pump out, you know? So where it kind of ejects into the sewer system and it does it like through actually like an open trap. You can just see it. You can just like see it open at the top. Mm-hmm. It just like dumps into Ooh. the top of the trap. Right. And that thing is like five feet away from the intake vent, you know, on the, 
on the AC. So, I see. so, so like so the AC <laughs> occasionally just blasts you with sewer gas from yeah. just Belgian so sewer gas, just gas, sewer gas <laughs> through the whole system. And it's basically because in the winter that thing just slowly right, dries, dries up because yeah. there's nothing coming out of the sump pump. And so he was like, oh, he's like, oh, so he was like, just every once in a while, I'll just go fill this thing up, you know. And then so I was like, okay, cool. So then I just dumped because it again, it's just open at the top because they can't close that one because if they do, then because it's. Anyway, it does details don't matter. But so it's just like, it's just <laughs> open there, just like it is really everywhere else in your house. It's just like any other trap, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, usually just open into a sinkhole or something, but right. or not a sinkhole, like not that kind of sinkhole. A sink. Yeah. <laughs> a sink. Yeah. A sink <laughs> drain. But, but so I just like, I just dumped like three liters of water into it and now it's fine, you know? But it was, it was, it was just one of those things. It's like, it, it took, it was a fact that I knew, which was like, oh yeah, like, like sewer traps are good. Are the thing. Yeah. Those are the thing. Mm-hmm that prevent sewer smells from coming into your house, right? Like I knew that, but I didn't know, I didn't like connect that, but also even if I did, I wouldn't have known what to do about that fact, right? Like, yeah. what do yeah, I, yeah. how do I, how do I use like, that? Oh, oh yeah, my trap isn't working. What do I do? He's like, you just put water in it. That's, yeah. That's, and that's yeah. what makes it work. That's what makes it work. water. <laughs> but, it, but it was funny because like he, because he was doing it just like the debug process that like, that I do in code that I just didn't do for this case. Cause what I could have done was just like walk through the same process of like, okay, well, if it happens when the air turns on, that must be coming from the basement. That makes the most sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Where's the closest like thing to the, to the vent in the basement. And like, and just like, then you could just see there's an open fucking trap right there. And right. then mm-hmm. that may, if that's open, it's next to the thing. That's when the smell comes in. That means there's no Obviously. water. There. That's like, that's yeah, the thing know, that should be true. You know? It's weird though. That like there's certain, there's certain areas where you don't apply the totally the generalizable process. stuff, yeah, that you have yep. skills built up around, like the, the thought process or design stuff, for some reason, right? For uh, I know what the reason. I mean, the reason is that because you know so little about the problem space, yeah. and you know that the the cost of breaking something is pretty high. Actually, for right? me, it's not so even it's the latter part; it's just that former part, which is like I know that I don't know anything about how plumbing works. I just know the few random facts, right? And so the moment there's a plumbing related problem, I'm just like, I need to hire somebody to take care of this. I don't even, I don't even start the process. Oh yeah. But like, but like imagine like you see all these pipes and stuff and you're like, should I just start turning knobs? You're like, no, no. Should I just pour three liters of water into it? Yeah. 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 Like what if, what if just, what if something happens and you don't understand and you just suddenly flood your basement, right? Like that's, that's it's, it's over, you know? And so it feels like you, you shouldn't engage in that normal kind of debugging process that you do where you just like change some stuff and see what happens mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to, you know, house maintenance mm-hmm. or things yeah. like that. Like that's how I feel about things like, uh, like electro uh, electric stuff yeah. in my house. Oh yeah. Plumbing, yeah. You know, never, I'm like, I'm like I don't want to, yep. yeah. I'm like, I don't want to die. I don't want to set anything on fire and I don't want to flood my house. As a result, I just don't really know about <laughs> right. plum- plumbing or elect- mm-hmm. electricity in my house. Yeah. Uh, which, which, like, cause like I've, I've like, I have these like maintenance books and stuff that I've like read over time, you know? So it's like, I've seen what's supposed to be happening behind all the walls and like how all this stuff is You still don't to want to touch it. But I still don't <laughs> want to touch it. And it's not something like I'm, you know, anything close to fluent in. Um, but yeah, but I, but I don't even start like the mental debugging process, except to, just to get to the point where I figure out who I think I need to hire, you know? So it's like, right. so it's like, as soon as I know, like, oh, it's, it's like. It's a plumbing problem, which means I could probably just talk to like any plumber and be like, "Hey, if you can't do this, I'm sure you can tell me who could do this." And then that's the whole thing, right? Right. Um, but when it and then when it falls in those more nebulous spaces of like, when you get into like handy person territory, where you're like, uh, "I don't know, this is like carpentry or mm-hmm. something," you know, I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> Some I, kind of house parts. Yeah, I will thing. say <laughs> as a as a as a you know, the homeowner, you know, re- responsible for figuring out how to take care of your own shit. That is the thing that I hate the most is the is the pile of things that you don't know exactly who's supposed to, to be able to take care of it. You who's know? in the problem space? I have like I have accumulated over time in my in my house this just ever growing collection of like continuing to get worse, non urgent but like just problems that I'm like I don't know. It's weird, weird why I don't know who to take who's to hire to take care of this. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's uh once you factor that that in to your, you know, monthly costs and stuff of owning a house, oh man, that stuff maintaining a house really does take quite that a bit. Adds it takes up. quite a bit of time and time and money. Uh let's talk about some studio news. Yeah. Now we did our we did our quarterly review this quarter. Um 
or this week. <laughs> we did this. We did it. We did it this quarter. Uh, it's been pretty cool. So the, this past quarter was very much a tools development and sort of long-term investment quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was weird because we were all very siloed. Yeah. yeah. Which is pretty, it's pretty atypical. Um, each of us had some kind of big project that we were working on. We, we had all identified something that needed to happen that didn't really require a lot of other people and was some kind of a long-term investment. Uh, and then we each kind of went off into our own spaces for a few months <laughs> and just, just jammed on all kinds of wild stuff. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty I – would, I would say that there were aspects of that that were much harder than the normal kind of collaborative stuff that we do um, because – for, I mean, for me personally, so I was working on the the game changer, our our tool that's you know going to be used for um, adding and working on content inside of our games. Um, and I would every now and then rope people in for feedback and stuff, but it's it's very tough to just work on one giant thing, just one huge thing that can't really be delivered or used piecemeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so any of those, and I think Adam could press B to this because this is his whole life pretty it's much whole job. stuff. <laughs> yeah. But like, but working on something that's really big, you you'll have these these small wins. We're like, oh, I got this new system working that's gonna make me one step closer to the next step, which 16 steps later, I'll finally be able to show something to someone. Mm-hmm. Right. And for you it's a big deal. But to even celebrate that fact that that happened with the team would require so much explanation and context that it would just be a waste of everyone's time. (laughs) So so instead you just kind of, you're like, okay, and you just kind of pat yourself on the back. It just leads to the question of, well, when can I, when can I have it though? Right. And so like, yeah. So it kind of undercuts your enthusiasm because it actually doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to them. And this is actually something that we kind of talked about in our quarterly of how, um, it is really difficult when, you know, every week we would kind of, talk as a, as a group about, you know, stuff that we had achieved that week and stuff that we're excited about. Um, but we found that especially this quarter, we, we all were very much in the weeds in those conversations where we would, you know, be talking about some little, very specific thing that we did in our project. And the rest of us would be like, yeah, but it's in tier on the inside. We're like, I is don't it done yet. When's it done? Is though? that, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean for me? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, because you know, it, it's there's very much this kind of know your audience and know your you know like read the room kind of a thing, which is when you're talking about about these kinds of projects, you got to be really careful to make sure that you're framing them in terms of what it does mean to the people you're talking to, right? Because mm-hmm. um, otherwise, they can't give you any feedback about it or really even understand what it is that you're talking about. Well, and they also so, can't even tell if like why you're talking, right? Because so, like, if you're, it's like, if you're accomplished one of these yeah, like, like, why did right? you do that thing that you did this week? Yeah, and, and it, but also why are you, you know? telling it? Because if you're telling it because you're excited, right? Then like, it might be possible to tell, you know, by your vibe that like, oh, like that's why, like, because like you're Oh, that's excited, an exciting right? thing. Yeah, <laughs> but because you don't, it's not exciting to you because the context is either insufficient or even if it is sufficient and you just like, but you don't care. You care about the deliverable at the end, right? Yeah. So, so it even becomes hard to, now because now you're like trying to try, like somebody's just trying, suddenly telling you something, and you're trying to triangulate like, and what am I what, supposed to do with? What this? am I doing? Is this? Here? Does this mean something <laughs> to me? Is this? Uh-huh. Am, am I supposed feedback? to know about? This? Yeah. yeah. Are you? <laughs> but it's easy, like yeah. in the so, moment, like as I was saying, like when you're when you're in that position of just like, oh fuck yes, right? Oh yeah, I'm so pumped. And you just want to tell somebody, right? And then you forget, like. Well, you forget two things. One, nobody can care. That's the first one. And then it's two, not that they don't want to care. Oh, yeah. It's they just literally they can't. can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's nothing against anybody. It's just how the things work. You know? And yeah. uh, so that's number one. The number two is that, so they, you know, they can't care. But the number two is like, you're excited because you finished something. So you're going to forget to actually provide sufficient context for them to know why you're telling them. And yeah, because it's boring about. to you. You already know the <laughs> yeah. context. You're yeah. not gonna so go you're, you're just going to launch right into it. And everybody else is like, um... Everyone else is like, cool. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's kind of, I mean, this quarter has been really great because the stuff that we've done uh, is really, really going to accelerate everything that we're able to do going forward. That's very it's cool. all very, it's all very cool. Um, and we have some, we have some very cool new visual stuff uh, mm-hmm. for Crashlands 2 that Sam spent just months working on. 
because he was like, well, I'm going to do my own silo thing. I'm going to make my own silo over mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Uh, while everybody else is doing their programming silos. He's like, we got tons of great stuff. But now this next quarter, we've it's it's integration time. You know, we need to take all this stuff that we've done and kind of reemerge from our our caves and start to actually communicate more again and get everything up and running. Going. You know, deliver deliver all these projects to the team and start to use them. Um, so it's it's gonna be. It almost feels like a you know we've been hibernating over the winter and like spring is here now. And yeah. <laughs> Very time. It's a very seasonal vibe, I think, which is kind of fun. You know, it's nice to have these different. I think if your work is always the same cadence, uh, it can get a little, you get a little dry. You know, versus being yeah. able to have have some of these pockets where it's like, oh yeah, this is just me doing me for a few months. You know, just trying to figure out some stuff. weird stuff. Yeah, and then showing back up and yeah. doing more team and collaborative well, stuff. Well, we should. I'm, I'm we should probably. Yeah, I think it's all very cool. I think we should talk about one of the conflicts that is so like, is like ever present in this kind of a scenario. Um, cause we talked about a lot of during the quarterly. And I think it's interesting, which is the question mm-hmm. of it's, it's a, it's a feeding the beast problem, right? Which is the idea of if you're running a company doing something on a team, whatever, right? Uh, it feels like everybody needs to be doing stuff, you know, cause like you're paying, you're paying people to do stuff, right? Your job supposedly as a team is to do stuff. So everybody should be doing stuff, right? To produce, to produce. But the, but the, the problem is that at any given moment, you don't like some some of the stuff that needs to happen might be a blocker for other of the stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not generally true. And in fact, I think it's usually, it's usually false that making that having more stuff is better because Correct. stuff creates baggage. Stuff has a high cost. It has a maintenance cost. It has, it, it, it's it has, work in process inventory. It's inventory. Which yeah. According yeah. to DevOps is the silent killer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you end up in this scenario uh, actually constantly where depending on what's happening with like the overall goals and, and projects that a person or a team is working on, where there are people who in any given moment are like, well, like I don't, there's nothing I need to be doing specifically. Right. But I want to still be able to move the project forward. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is where the feeding the beast comes in because now if you're like, if you've got a manager, the manager's feeling that also because they need to show that their team is working. Right. So yeah. they got KPIs. They got oh, KPIs. Like, yeah, we have these two engineers, uh, you know, who are working on this tool that really is the thing that we need for everybody else to be able to go, you know, as a simple, mm-hmm. you know, story version of this. And like, uh, but we have this, we have these artists over here who have, quote unquote, nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's so, give them something to I, do. Yeah. yeah, but I don't want them just, you know, being idle because they're paying. So uh, how about you guys, you know, could you just start making assets as if like, you know, as if they're going to go in, like what, you, you know, what, you know, got to do. And the problem with that is you end up with this scenario where, uh, it's, it's just not the case that when you're looking at a system, I think this, this only works if you're thinking about, about the team somehow as like atomized individuals in terms of like it's mm-hmm. the sum of the product, quote unquote, productivity of each of the people individually that ends up producing team productivity, which is just not yeah. what it is. It's a synergistic system. And so if you have people on that team, uh, in one case, say producing a bunch of volume of work, then that it isn't actually able to be used nor delivered nor implemented. Like it's just sort of getting produced. Uh, you're actually just sort of clogging up the pipe for the rest of the team to finish up whatever the work is that they're doing that actually would then allow the team to move forward. Very, very efficient. Yeah, and let's right? see you feel productive because of how we've coupled the idea of generating something, you know, with productivity, mm-hmm. right? But as Sam is saying, as a as a system, and I think this is like this is a concept that is so important, but also somehow nuanced enough that like it really is hard to embed in your brain. Which is which is that when it comes to like working on stuff with other people, it's it's not about you. It's not about you, and it's not about the stuff. <laughs> it's about the ability of the team to produce it's about the the throughput of the system. Yeah, yes. to produce the stuff, and it's not even about yeah. the throughput like in the moment. It's about the long term capability and capacity of the team. So, so, so the way that I've like reframed this for myself or, or our studio is not that, that our job as a, as a, as a team is not to make crash lens too. That's what we're doing, but that's not our job. Like our, our, everything that we're doing is, is as a actual job is to become a team who is able to deliver things like crash lens too, right? Mm-hmm. Very effectively. And under whatever market conditions we're, we find ourselves in, because that can change really rapidly. And so that's what our actual job is. And this is actually true for 
for anybody working on anything is that mm -hmm. there's a higher level thing at play where you are told that your job is to do X, right? And everybody thinks your job is to do X, right? But really, it's to be able to do X always. Because if you're able to do it, the next happens. That's just a side effect, right? And if you focus just on the X, and that's what you think is happening, then everything yeah. feels like waste when you're not. Well, I think a good kind of kind of analogy would be like if you if you're running a an automobile you know manufacturing plant, right? You make cars, mm -hmm. and you've got you've got your factory set up, and it's it's a bunch of conveyor belts and machines and stations for you know people and robots to do all kinds of things, right? And like you can produce these specific kinds of cars and you can do it at a very specific speed, mm -hmm. right? You've got what you've got. You've got the capabilities that you've got. So, so a new idea comes along, right? You got some engineers, you got some whatever factory planners and stuff. And they're like, all right, here's, here's a new plan for how we can arrange this factory. And here's some new equipment. We'll need to shut it down for three weeks to, you know, redo all this stuff, but it's going to allow us to produce uh, 10 times the variety of cars at triple the speed, okay? Mm -hmm. But we just got to shut down for three weeks, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine if, you know, during that three-week period, you had people on the board, you had managers, you had people on the factory floor continuously trying to still use the factory to make cars mm -hmm. while it was being rearranged mm -hmm. <laughs> and then demanding that actually that be something that's just required. Yeah. Or rather, yeah, being like we don't want to, being held to to still uh, actually have cars coming out at the same rate while this is all happening. Yeah, that's actually yeah. Really what it's right. yeah. So suddenly, this you know three week shutdown becomes like a one year sort of nightmare. cumbersome tangled nightmare. And probably during that time, uh, you pr produced far fewer cars than you you know would have mm -hmm. just in general. But then even worse, if you had just done the three week shutdown, then boom, suddenly you're you're tripling mm -hmm. your production speed. Well, that's the thing is like, and, if right. in that scenario, because, because like there, there's this obsession with not even just with like the system producing, but with, with people individual, as individuals yeah. producing, uh, that, that is really pathological and we've all internalized it, you know, via capitalism. Right. Um, but if you, as you go like into the corporate settings, as you go up like through managers, because of how, how key performance indicators work and they boil things down to the most, mm -hmm. you know, measurable, useless sort of ideas, then like, this is just how things work because what everybody needs to show is that, is that I have optimized, right? Like I've optimized my work or my employees work or my whatever. And what optimized seems to mean in people's brains is that every waking moment they are producing something, right? Mm -hmm. And sure, even if it's waste for everybody, even if it's else. waste, well, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's even necessarily I think it's, I think it's just, it's, it's even simpler than that, which is just that in a more realistic setting, doing something like that in a factory might take six months. It might take a yeah. year. Right. And so if that's your only factory and you've got shareholders, the amount of selling of this idea that you will have to do to every person involved is astronomical. Like the amount of, the amount of sort of allaying of fears and saying like, don't worry, I know that we're not producing any cars right now. And we're definitely not going to be producing any cars for the next 10 months. Mm -hmm. But once those 10 months are done, we will be just crushing it and we'll make our money back in the first it's the, three months. It's right? the short-term focus, right? But, but yeah, but the, but the part that I was talking about, though, is like, then what happens to those employees? Yeah, that's, what I was, that's I the think the most challenging part. Right? Yeah, because, because if you're, because again, if you're like, if you're a manager and the idea is like, oh, well, like if we're doing this reshuffling so my employees can't do what they're supposed to be doing, quote unquote, right? Uh, and they can't produce under that very uh, narrow idea of what that means, then what do you do? Because if you, you don't, cause like it, you're taught that it's bad to have people idle, not, you know, producing. Right. But if you can't, because doing so would actually make the problem worse because like there's a bottleneck over here and you need to relieve pressure on that first before it's worth making other stuff because you're reworking things and making, making a new tool. And, you know, people should just wait so that they can blaze ahead really fast once it, once it's available, whatever. What do you do with those people during that time, right? Because so because every pressure is, is telling you, I got to feed the beast, right? I got to come up with something to do, right? Yep. And that's that. That's again, it's that short term. Everything is just short term driven, and it's confusing what the point is. Because the point again is not to make the thing; it's to be able to make the thing. And yeah. So, the point isn't like to make sure that Steve 
uh, attaches 53 wheels per day or yeah. whatever. Right? That's, not, like, that's not why your factory exists. Yeah. That's not why it's also that's not why, why it's also exists. not why Steve is there. Steve is not there to put wheels on cars, right? I mean, he's there to do whatever he's supposed to do. He's to there make to make everything go smoothly. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's there to be able to like make use of his skill set and whatever the setup is to be able to adapt to whatever it means to do his part of building cars, right? More yeah. generally, which may just mean just. Get I didn't give a moment. Yeah, I didn't give a moment. Just go putting wheels in the go car. Go away but, for a while. I guess what's interesting because <laughs> people, you know, most organizations have a really hard time with uh, with training or with uh, you know continued education while people are are working, which uh, to me is weird uh, because there's very few there's very few people who truly truly uh, need to be working on the stuff that they're like like basically you're quote unquote delivering your productivity uh, metrics like day in day out. Like where the the job is such that that's just sort of essentially they're a bottleneck, right? And that's just sort of what they need to be doing. Um, for the most part, there are these ebbs and flows with projects, which with whatever else. And if you if you resist the urge to just for some reason make people do stuff that actually messes up the overall system's production, which is to me is the key point. It's like it's not even just misguided. It's it's you're you're working in opposition to what your actual goal is. Yeah, it's counterproductive. Yep. It's counterproductive. Um, then it actually provides also these perfect. Uh, sort of seasonal windows for people to engage in some training for, you know, maybe a week, two weeks, who knows how long, um, along either a dimension that you have set out where you're like, oh, as a manager, my job is to uh, not to necessarily manage individual people to squeeze like a weird productivity metric out of them, but rather to manage the uh, overall project and make sure we have what we need to have with the people we have. Mm -hmm. uh, then you could say, oh, we're going to need uh, this little bit of extra capability. And you know what? We've got these two weeks here. Steve, why don't you, we're going to like bring this person in and train you on how to do this stuff with the new machine so that once they get up and running, you're good to go. Uh, so it's not, it's just like, you don't, you don't have to be, if you, as soon as you can take out that, take that much more zoomed out view of the scenario, then the idea of like, what do I do with someone who can't do the exact work that I had slotted them to do? It's like, you quit thinking about them as just, uh, as like some weird atomized cog and rather as a piece of this overarching system. And then ask like, what does the system need? What will the system end up needing later on? And then yeah, how can and think we about the system and the grow this term. person. Think, yeah. yeah, and think of it not as like the system's job is to make that project, but is to be able to make projects like that, right? Yes. Because as you when you do both of those things, and then zoom out, then you find yourself. And, and again, it's like focus on that long term, right? Because so to bring this back to like our case, um, we realized back in November that we needed to build this game changer thing because the way that we were doing things made it so that. We were just too, it was too hard to move forward with, with the kind of scale and type of game that we want yes. Crashlands 2 to be, right? And and so we saw this like, this tooling, this toolkit idea as the, the clear thing that was going to make it so that we resolved the core issues around that. But we also knew it was a huge project, like it was going to be a months long project. And that meant It's that actually three projects. Because we had to build the data backend, build and then build an interface framework, mm -hmm. and then use the interface framework to make a to front build the end tool, for yeah. the data backend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like three totally foundational things from the ground mm -hmm. up. Uh, yep. And each one big. of those has huge val, like huge downstream long term value, right? Mm -hmm. By themselves already, but then like collectively, then become this this like thing that we needed. But we knew, we were like, this is going to take minimum three months, but probably up to six, which has so far been accurate. a pretty accurate estimate. <laughs> so we're closing on six. Uh, and and so we knew what that meant was like, basically, the studio is not working on Crashlands 2. Like as a, and, and by working on it, I mean like literally making it, right? Yep. And so so then what do you do in that scenario when when Sam's job, putatively, I guess if you, if you get, if you don't zoom back out, is... To make art assets and do design work for Crashlands Two, right? Yep. And Jen, who's doing our narrative stuff, um, her job supposedly is to work on narrative, to work on storytelling, and like do characters and dialogue for Crashlands Two, right? So, what do you do during those six months? Do you fire everybody? Do you put everybody on part time to save money for the company? Is that what you do, right? Because if you're most companies, probably. Um, or do you say, well, like, what if we just use this as slack time, even though it's a long time, and figured out what what could everybody be learning? What does everybody what does everybody need to learn how to do so that once the game changer is live, we can like 
the not only plays forward with the game changer and how good it is, mm-hmm. but now the whole team has actually leveled up in the interim so that our usage of it just like has been compounded in this really enormous way. You enter right. a montage, I think, is actually exactly yeah. It's a training montage. You know, yeah. yeah, you hit the training montage while uh, this particular part of the system is essentially blocked from inputs, such that by the time it's ready to go, that everybody's just you know yeah. looking. Yeah, but that does require that does require a long term investment view of the oh, people yeah. in your company as well. Yeah, I mean, yes. you need to you need to basically say. I plan on these people all being here when this project is done, and I plan on them wanting to be here in the foreseeable future, right? Mm-hmm. If if you are perpetually um, battling your employees and underpaying them and trying to cut their benefits, et cetera, you're giving them infinite number of reasons to leave, right? <laughs> and so in those scenarios, you, you actually can't take this kind of a view, yeah. right? Because Because – the idea of saying like, well, I've got Steve over here. He's been attaching 53 tires per day to cars or whatever. But in this new in this new factory paradigm, I'm going to need Steve to be able to do X, Y, and Z, right? So Steve, let's let's figure out your, your new training plan and like it's time to start leveling up your skills in this new domain, right? Um, well, if if you have this kind of hostile relationship with your workers, right? <laughs> Then instead, what's going to happen is Steve is going to be like, bye, and Steve's gone now, right? And then once your factory is back up and running, then you've got to try to find a new person who has the skills, mm-hmm. uh, knows the context, bring them in, bring them in, train them. And of course, they won't have been there as long, so they won't have all the institutional knowledge and understanding that, that Steve had, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be that long ramp up time. And so you've, you've actually, Lost a lot more in the in the long term by trying to you know nickel and dime Steve the, short the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that uh, is yeah. that is really so, the lesson is that is that so much of the way that we approach uh, pr- basically working on projects as uh, as companies, but really in general, is a whole bunch of actually very counterproductive things yeah. that revolve around short term thinking and a very zoomed in view of like what everybody's job and goal actually is. Um, so that the goal is focused on the project and on the things that make up the project, right? And on being able to do it as quickly as possible. And all of that is extremely counterproductive to the long-term capability of your individuals on the team, but as but also the organization, the whole system. Yeah. The whole system. And and so it, so much of what like it's it is so baffling when you read things like uh, like the anti-work subreddits and like ask a manager, you know, like, and when you listen to some of the stories that people tell about what their oh, yeah. manager did or their boss did or whatever, and you're reading, cause like, cause not only was it like, just like an asshole thing for somebody to do, you know, but also so counterproductive. <laughs> like yeah. to, it, it's so like, they're not, they're not, they're not doing anything that makes any sense towards like a goal of like, especially for small business owners. Cause they're in it for the long haul, you know, yep. they don't have shareholders. They're like, this is, this is how they're, this is my life. livelihood, right? It's their whole yeah. life. And when you see them behaving in the same way where it's like, you're not, <laughs> you're making this hard for yourself Yeah, for no yeah. reason. Well, it's, it's, everything is abstracted enough that like when you put it into some kind of an analogy, people are like, oh yeah, of course. You know, like, like if you were, if you were in New York, if you and another person were in New York City and you basically like, okay, first person to end up in Los Angeles wins, Right. And one person could just start walking towards Los Angeles, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, they are immediately making progress yep. measurably, mm-hmm. right? But if you said instead like, you know what, I'm just going to grab a uh, job at a restaurant for the next month and just mm-hmm. like try – like I'm going I'm to hustle and make some cash and just buy a plane ticket, mm-hmm. right? So – in that entire first month, you you're haven't not, you're not doing moved at you haven't moved unquote. at all toward Los Angeles, yep. right? And this other person, they're just they're just walking, they're just power walking, and they've made it Ohio, you know, like you know? one, they've made it like <laughs> a one and a half states maybe uh, at that point. And then at the end, you just zip past them at 550 miles an hour, soaring through the sky like an eagle because you took the long view, 
you know. Well, that's that's also yeah. You didn't make immediate progress in the first chunk there, but like eventually you went much faster. But this is also (laughs) where the idea of flexibility comes in, right? And this is really important to us in the games industry because it's fucking chaotic. And like any given year, who who knows what's going on? Like maybe next year we get forced to sell NFTs because that's the only way anybody will let us sell our game. You know, like. Uh, I mean, we're not going to if we can do literally anything to not. <laughs> I don't. I don't see that happening. Just to be clear, but like, but the point being that we like, may sell NFTs as a joke to prove there a is point. that. There yeah. is that. Uh, but, yeah, but, the, but the point no, being we'll that, that, like, <laughs> that we we don't get to decide what our market looks like, right? And we set off on projects that are years long projects to make a game or whatever. And so this is one of those things too. Is like if if every moment, like if we started working on Crashlands two, well, whatever it was now a year ago. Two year and a half. I don't know. I don't know what time it is. Jan twenty one. So we start. Yeah. So so if we had done that, and then if we just like day after day diligently, we're just literally working on Crashlands two. That's just what was happening, right? And then so then here we are today, year and a half or whatever later, and we've got a pretty like we got some cool game. But it's like there's a lot going on. It's like we can we can play it. You know, like it's a, it's a, actually a good spot, uh, and it has a lot of very but like. Everything that we, all the work that we've done is inside the game, right? We, we don't have, mm-hmm. we don't have tools that help us do things. We don't have uh, people having learned new stuff that give us new ideas on how to do that. We don't have a whole, well, everything that we have is baked into this thing. And so. Yeah. So when it comes time for the next game, we start over. We start over. But, but also yeah. <laughs> even before that, when we go to like, as the market's changing around us, because we've been doing this for now, you know, a year and a half or whatever. All of a sudden, somebody comes to us and is like, oh, hey, we want to give you a bunch of money to be on our platform, but here are the constraints. And we're looking at that and we're like, uh, fuck, we can't match those constraints because we don't have any flexibility because we spent a year and a half building one thing. It's all, right? But now flip it around and say, what if we spent that year and a half building tools and leveling up and like figuring out how to do stuff, like stuff related to this, right? How to do stuff. And then they came to us. We hadn't done anything yet. Hadn't even started crash lens too, right? <laughs> but we had all these tools and all these skills. And like, we were just like, we were just like this engine, just like, you know, you know, like, you know, like, uh, you know when they like those engines that gurgle, you know, cause they're just like, they're so mad. And so like <laughs> guzzling so much gas, you know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. like, we're in that position where the whole thing is like shaking and vibrating, and just ready to go. Right. And they're like, oh yeah, if you can do this, we're like, fuck yeah, we can do that. Right. And then just boom, you know? Now, we don't have to overcome the fact that everything that we have done is baked into this one thing, this one way of doing mm-hmm. things. It's like you're, uh, you were on an aircraft carrier. We got our afterburners ready to go. Yeah, exactly. We're just, know, ready. Just, like, just ready. Just yeah. ready to go. <laughs> and so, like, so we've been talking about this with the Game Changer. We're like, we're seeing what it's going to allow us to do in terms of how it's going to change production dramatically, but also the speed at yeah, the same ridiculous. time, right? Genuinely It's going to be such a huge, like, you know, we're talking like 10x kind of gains, right? So the fact that we spent six months on it instead of spending that six months just like plowing away at Crashlands 2 means that, well, what's a tenth of six months? Whatever point six months is. A couple couple of weeks. Three weeks. Literally three weeks. So literally it's like, so if we can, if we can. In the first couple of weeks after we start using it, we will have made. We've already made it back up. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, so Sam, you you started using sort of like this early version of the game changer just this week. Well, so How yeah, we're, we're in a position where Seth needed some some data to uh, to work on some of the change management stuff that happens uh, through the through the game changer, and so it's like, oh well, you know, I have this I have this list that I made in October, the last PlayStation we did in October, which actually is what prompted then a larger discussion, and then uh, the game because the list was big. Sam was like, here's like forty things that I want to see changed about the game. Yeah. So, but right. it didn't seem it didn't seem big, and this is what was annoying, and this is what spawned the whole thing because we we sat down. After this play session, and we just went through it and we're like, yeah, we agree with all these. And Seth was like, this is going to take me probably like six weeks to mm-hmm. make all these modifications. And I was like, there's like one of these that I feel like should take even like a day or two. So like, what the fuck? Why? Why would it take that long? And so we get into yep. this, that it's like all the stuff is just all coupled and annoying. And so, uh, you know, I was like, well, let me take that list and just see what I can do. And I went through, I got all of them in, all of the changes that, that had been sitting there for six months in 25 minutes and <laughs> made a bunch of new changer. ones, was able to see a bunch of stuff, fixed a bunch of broken things, didn't even know it was broken, pieces that were missing, art pieces that hadn't gotten exported properly, whatever. Like just the whole thing. And then it was just done. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like this is, <laughs> because in this way. But it's weird, right? Because like, 
because I could have spent those weeks doing the implementing those changes, and I would have been the guy walking from New York to Los Angeles. You know, yep. it's like, look, I'm doing it. I'm making the changes, right? Yep. And then and Sam instead, comes you know, with the next six weeks worth of changes, right? When you're done with that, right? Yeah, and and then, it's basically yeah, the, the six thing more weeks we were looking at, which is like the scale of the game and the uh, interconnectedness of it. the interconnectedness of all the systems, of all the various items, the creatures, whatever, is what makes the thing so interesting. It makes what makes an open world environment. Uh, very lively and fun um, and feel like an actual place. And if we can't optimize a system that's able to uh, extremely effectively change one component of that system without breaking everything or without requiring a tremendous amount of work, then we're sort of screwed. You'd basically get no iteration time. And actually, the larger the game gets, the more complex it gets, uh, the slower everything moves, which is what we started experiencing back in October. So, yeah, I mean, it's... I'm very excited for it to be uh, up and running where I can start both implementing a, this pile of stuff that I made that I did make uh, back or late last year uh, but then also just even poking around with it because like the the iterative speed that comes off of it from a design standpoint is just so good that I was able to I mean I, cle- I cleaned up some like research trees for a few of the artisans and like did so I was like oh I could do this to j- pop some things just oh god it's good whatever, it's so whatever good. you want to do you just and then I use oh, yeah, it. To, really, I don't. I don't like the description of the tooltip of this thing. Let me. Okay, I just change it. Yeah, and problem. then I was, then I use it to, to prototype uh, to prototype a new feature that that doesn't exist at all. But I was able to leverage an existing thing that's sort of like an, a proxy of it, and just sort of get it in, so I could still make some actual really good conceptual headway, doing some experiments to figure out kind of how the art might look for it. Um, all of which before would have required uh, a. Tr- like Seth to do a bunch of stuff, or even if Seth wasn't involved doing stuff, for me to somehow know where all these things were located uh, in code and find them, change the names of Sprite, like all this other stupid shit. And then it was just like, I just made, it took five minutes, just iterated like four times in the span of about two and a half hours, as opposed to three or four days, usually didn't involve Seth at all. You know, it was just like, yeah. Yeah. So like the wild thing about this is that, you know, so the game changer uh, in, in total now, it's been, I think, Five months since November, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so five months of building all the systems necessary, and then and then building the game changer. It's still not totally there yet, um, but it's getting you know closer and closer. But uh, there was a point where like I was having a lot of apprehension, like man, this is take taking a while. Uh, but then I just sat back and I just kind of did the math, right? Where I'm like, I think that this thing is going to give us a five to ten x speed increase at least for the stuff that we're able to deliver into the game, right? So if we planned on working on this game for, let's say, two years, mm-hmm. if the entire first year was just making the game changer, then we would still have a game that is more has more than twice or three times as much stuff right. in it mm-hmm. by the time we're done. But it hasn't been a year. It'll be more like probably six months total, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so, so if, like we're saying, if that's six months of work, then we can sort of break even on that work within a few weeks of the game changer coming online in terms of how much stuff we're able to do. Then every, every day past that is, is just, is just Mm -hmm. ludicrous, ludicrous speed. You're going plaid, right? Mm -hmm. Like in uh, space balls. (laughs) Yeah. I think this this spring and Uh, summer is going to be very fun. Because it's also one of those, it's, it is frustrating to, you know, look at the game and be like, it's in the same spot it was in October. Despite the fact that we've, we've grown, the idea about it both grew at that point in time. We have like all these things that are sort of sitting there, right? And, and it is frustrating to be like, you know, we've been sitting on this thing essentially. And like, I can't, if I try to show it to someone, you know, back of my mind, I'm like, well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's the same as it was you know, probably the last video I showed it to them. Uh, yeah, and but so, that doesn't matter right now. Yeah, well, it doesn't because matter. like because again, zooming out, right? It's 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 uh, that our job is to be able to make Crashlands two, and so while Crashlands two itself hasn't progressed, that's fine. It's not our job actually, right? Mm-hmm. If but if you look at what has happened around it, so that right. our ability to make it right, like that on every dimension, because because like, you know we're talking about the game changer mostly, right? But like uh, all kinds of stuff, like everyone on the team is doing stuff related to oh yeah, boosting what comes next, you know. And, and so if you look at, if you, if you just look at the question of how well prepared are we to make Crashlands 2 and like, how has that changed over the past six months? Like it's stupid. It's astronomical difference. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and especially for that question of 
if the situation around us were to change, because either part, we're talking, we're talking on the scale of like, you know, six months and a year even, right? And that whole time, we're not selling a new product, right? And so, so then like what, right? Like what, so, so that like that, there's that, that worry the whole time of like, well, what happens if we just suddenly end up in financial straits, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if that happens, but we're literally 10 times more capable in that moment, yep. then we we're still better off. Yeah, exactly. We're <laughs> still better reflect. off than if we just, because if we had half of Crashlands done instead, so it would just still definitely take another year at yeah, the half is pace and you know what, I mean? what we have, right? Uh, then like, that's actually a worse position to be than not have anything done, but to be 10 times more able to make Crashlands too, right? Because yep. uh, then if we can just adapt to whatever the situation is. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So you just, you got to be really careful about how you're measuring what it means to be moving forward, you know, mm-hmm. and and just like Sam was saying with the Crash Ends Two stuff, if if we've decided that the most important thing is for us to be, you know, pitching Crash Ends Two to publishers and platforms every month mm-hmm. and showing them meaningful progress in the game that they can be excited about, that's basically the same as like a, a corporation having quarterly earnings reports and yeah. and needing to show growth that quarter, which means that that they have to sacrifice. R and D. They have to sacrifice long term investment and just keep, just keep hustling toward Los mm-hmm. Angeles. You know, just keep, just keep grinding away, um, regardless of what that means for the long term. You know, so it's been a really interesting lesson, I think, uh, this past quarter, and I'm very, I'm apprehensive and excited about just the amount of sort of like whiplash that's going to happen for how fast things are going to be changing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's one last thing that I'm I'm really pumped about, which is back when we made the original Crashlands, uh, we made the the Crashlands Creator, which mm-hmm. basically served as like the little seed of an inspiration for the game changer. Right, mm-hmm. the Crashlands Creator was our tool for building the campaign of Crashlands. So not the whole game, but just telling the story and doing the quests and stuff. Um, and to this day, there are times where people will ask me like, "Hey." what's going on with this quest? Like, how does this quest work in Crashlands? And I'm like, I don't think I've heard of that quest. (laughs) (laughs) Because there was this separate tool that, that Adam and Sam used to develop the story and all that stuff in Crashlands. And I personally actually didn't see necessarily every single thing that went into the game. You implemented the generic ability to ingest the output of that tool, right? Yeah. It just becomes game stuff automatically, but you don't actually have to look at it for that to happen, right? Right. So what's going to happen then with Crashlands 2 is is that to the nth degree, which is that there's actually going to be like, creatures and abilities and recipes and like like just any any kind of game content at all that I may not actually know about but it'll mm-hmm. be in the game and I will like during a, a test where I'm like developing some new mechanic yeah, I'll come you'll, across you'll get to see new, something new I'll yeah. come across some new thing like what that what is this poison poison <laughs> debuff what is this I didn't I didn't program this right but it's it's in there and it's working because the game changer allows for it. And Sam just went off and did it and I didn't notice. <laughs> um, which then which then actually does bring the problem of visibility, right? Like how do you make sure that if so many things are changing so fast, how do you make sure that you test them, right? And that's a problem that we have to solve yep. now, this quarter. Yep. So, but those are much uh, better problems. Again, you always have problems. Just you want to mm-hmm. work toward having really nice problems like that one, as opposed to you want yeah. the best problems. Just the best problems. In the that's world. that's what life is all about. <laughs> Try to have the best problems that you want to have. Uh, well, that's all the time we have for this week. So uh, we'd like to thank our producer Fat Bard and Jen Coster for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.